I do not pretend to understand the moral universe. The arc is a long one. My eye reaches but little ways. I cannot calculate the curve and complete the figure by the experience of sight. I can divine it only by conscience. But from what I see, I am sure that it bends towards justice. Theodore P Parker wrote that paragraph in the le years leading up to the Civil War. It is one of the best known to come out of Unitarian preaching. Martin Luther King and others have often shortened it to the moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. It can, apply, it can be applied in many ways, but it is originally explicitly about race in America. Parker's writing doesn't end where the quote does. It continues, but from what I see, I am sure that it bends towards justice Things refused to be mismanaged for long. Jefferson trembled when he thought of slavery and remembered that God is just. Ere long, all America will tremble. This idea that the moral arc of the universe bends towards justice is one that has sustained me through many years, many losses, and many disappointments. In the most difficult times in my life, it's been the lifeline that I've grabbed onto. I think I've told this story before, but a few years before I applied to seminary, a friend of mine was shot and killed in Lesotho. We had both been Peace Corps volunteers in the same district. He was scheduled to come home a year after I did. Tom Moresco was a teacher. He was a proud graduate of the University of Florida. He was a frat boy. To this somewhat dour future pastor, he was somewhat inexplicably good-natured in the midst of a difficult job, who decided to join the Peace Corps before going to med school. Tom died in a mugging he was walking home after a gathering in the capital city of Maseru. In a setting where we were there because we wanted to make a difference, it was an accident without reason or meaning. In the aftermath, I joined the other Peace Corps volunteers for his funeral in Florida. The month after the funeral, I was at um, First Unitarian in downtown Baltimore and we sang, we'll build a land. Um, to this day, I can't get through that song. <laughs> Somewhere about the third verse every time. We'll build a land where we bring the good tidings to all the afflicted and all those who mourn, and we'll give them garlands instead of ashes. Or we'll build a land where peace is born. It is a truth in this business of church that often music can reach us in a way that spoken word cannot. And for me, in the midst of that loss, here was a song that promised not that mourning would end exactly, not that everything would be all right, 
but that we collectively were builders of the promised land that can be. The song reminded me that what we do matters, even if we don't see results in our lifetime. We might not see the moral arc bending, but it does bend by our actions, little by little. This has been one of the life-saving parts of Unitarian Universalism for me. It is, to borrow a term, it is fundamental to my faith. It is a, state, a faith statement to say that I am assured that there are enough people of goodwill in the world that we are going to eventually bend the arc of the world. Not any one of us, but the aggregate of millions, billions of people of goodwill trying to make their corner of the world a little better. The promised land is not the result of a, of a messianic second coming, but the work of human hands, work that I'm a part of, work that each one of us in this room is a part of. This is what has sustained me over the last few years, reading the paper in the morning. It is the faith that gets me through this morning, this moment in our country's history. Yeah, but we're Unitarian Universalists. And one of the things that we are asked to do is interrogate our own beliefs. We say that we are on that we have a free and responsible search for truth and meaning, and part of that responsibility is taking the things that we believe in our core and saying, why do I believe that? What other ways of thinking might there be? And so here's the thing. Even in the midst of all the uncertainty in America in 2019, and there's a lot of it, I am employed, I am well compensated, I am reasonably healthy, I have health insurance, Stacy and I own a house, we have a cushion in our savings. I move in this world as an able-bodied, educated, white, straight man who spends 30 seconds every morning deciding what signal to send that day with his choice of neckwear. The novelist John Scalzi, also a man who moves in the world with a lot of privilege, describes life in this way. Imagine life is a video game. In most video games, you start by choosing what difficulty you're going to play at. Set it to easy, and the bad guys go a little easier on you. You get more points for the same actions. It's easier to advance. You can still lose the game if it's set on easy. And someone more skilled might do better than you, even if they have the difficulty setting turned up to hardcore. But setting the game to easy makes it easier. In life, John Scalzi says, straight white dude is the easy setting. <laughs> and like John Scalzi, I play life on the straight white dude setting. So it's worth asking, it's important to ask for me what that means. 
And one of the things that it means is I can wait out the moral arc of the universe. If it bends slowly towards justice, if it doesn't bend in my lifetime, well, I, I have a pretty great life. So what does that mean? What if that's not the case? What happens to a dream deferred, Langston Hughes wrote in 1951? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun or fester like a sore and then run? Does it stink like rotting meat or crust and sugar over like a syrupy sweet? Maybe it just sags like a heavy load. Or does it explode? What if it is not enough to do our bit and pass it on to the next generation, trusting that the ark will eventually bend towards justice even if beyond our sight? It is easy for me to say, wait, better to do things right and incrementally than blow down a system that does more good than harm. It's easy for me to say that because for me, the system has done more good than harm. And then this becomes more complicated when those of us who have fashioned ourselves benders of the moral arc look out and see younger activists than us uh, bending the wrong way, when our expectations of what justice should look like are not shared by those in the streets calling for it. Listen to this prayer by UU Minister Elizabeth Wynne. God who is with us in the courtrooms at the border, in the streets, in the struggle. We do not know if this arc bends towards justice. The great test of our Unitarian Universalist faith is not whether we believe we can bend the arc, but how we are when the bending looks oh so differently from what we expected. When we're met with swear words, when we expected songs, when we're met with a group of white people talking about white identity when we expected multiracial community, when we're met with a people of color space when we expected multiracial community. May we know the sacredness of people of color space, the holiness of white people supporting each other, and the power of cursing at injustice. When our efforts feel frustrated and, ho and hopeless, when we expected to see outcomes, when our people's bodies are dying in the streets and we have no idea how to be all right, when our people's spirits are dying from the grinding violence of white supremacy, when the era of Ferguson becomes the era of Baltimore, becomes the era of Charleston, and we don't know what is next. When we've been in this work for six years or six decades and look at our congregation, our local police, our schools, our prisons, and we have no idea what justice could look like. Our faith teaches us two truths, that we are always enough, that the great circle of love casts no one out, and that we are responsible for bending our own small piece of the ark, for finding our own racial justice front lines. And when we find those front lines, we find not only our hope, but we also find our most effective action. 
words of Elizabeth Wynne. One of the things the board and I talked about at a retreat a few weeks ago was how we might as a congregation take up a conversation about race and equity that's been going on at the national level in Unitarian Universalism for the last few years. This year, Unitarian Universalist congregations across the country are engaging in a congregational study action item, the CSAI. It was originally voted on at General Assembly in Kansas City, so you may recognize part of this text. This is the, it's, it's worth quoting in full because we're gonna spend some time with this document this year. Racism is fundamental to US social systems. The study item begins. White supremacy culture operates economically, institutionally, politically, and culturally, shaping everyone's chances to live healthy, fulfilling lives. It is also the nation's most toxic export, shaping policies and practices that do profound harm to the earth and all living things. White supremacy operates intersectionally, beyond black and white and interwoven with other forms of oppression. It is multiracial and intersects with issues of class and income, gender, age, ethnicity, immigration status, sexual orientation, religion, ability, and more. How are people socialized into various overlapping supremacy systems, creating a white-dominated patriarchy that serves the interests of US corporatism? That's one of the questions. That is the first question that we are asked to consider. How do different racial and economic strategies get applied to different racial groups, often disguised in coded language that pretends to be colorblind while still having racialized impacts? How can we, as Unitarian Universalists, build transformative relationships of trust and accountability across racial lines? Through reflection and action, courageous conversations should foster our abilities to decenter whiteness and other isms. At the core, we must equip Unitarian Universalists to work inside and outside our congregations, building trust by following the leadership and direction of the most vulnerable of society. possible actions to work on during this year of study. Provide ongoing training and education in anti-racism and anti-oppression in a multi and intergenerational basis to all who wish to deepen their understanding. Build local relationships with people of color and other oppressed people inside and outside our congregations so that agendas and strategies for social justice efforts respond to the real vulnerabilities they face. Mobilize Unitarian Universalists to participate in community organizing that is guided by accountable partnerships. Actions can include street protest, advocacy work, resource sharing, local, regional, and national campaigns, letter writing, community asset building, and more. Documents like this, congregational study items like this, are designed to prompt conversation in congregations. They don't have answers. They start a conversation. And we in Lincoln are not isolated from this. Disparities of privilege and the, the reality of racial lines are visible in the geography of this city. In this neighborhood, right around this church, about five blocks in any direction, 
the life expectancy is 84 years. If you drive south down 70 um, past Highway 2, that number goes up to 91. In North Lincoln, the 27th Street corridor right around Y Street, 68. There is a 15 to 20 year disparity in life expectancy in neighborhoods that are less than four miles apart in this city. And we could ask what structural issues give rise to this. Where are the hospitals in Lincoln? Where is affordable housing in Lincoln? What do we do about it? Who do we partner with? It's hard. It's, it's a hard question to ask because there's a tension for me even now. Public policy Oscar, who attended First Unitarian in Baltimore, who loves will build the land, believes that the moral arc of the universe bends towards justice, maybe only over centuries. And that public policy version of myself wants to say that addressing healthcare disparities, disparities in healthcare access is a decades long project. And if you live in a neighborhood where the life expectancy is a decade or more less than it should be, calls for patience, calls that this will be a decade-long project seem cruel at best. And so I am not preaching answers this morning. The whole process of congregational study is one of asking questions. And in that, I will be with you all year. Oh, we're going to, in a moment or two, we're going to close with a hymn about love. It's a spiritual, number 95 in our gray hymnal. There is more love somewhere. And when I first learned it, I learned it with a fairly common Unitarian Universalist edit, which is changing there is more love somewhere to there is more love right here. And there is love. There is love right here. I feel it every week that we come together. But that's not the message of the song. The message of the song as it's written and as we should respect the composer is that despite present circumstances, there is more love out there. And that is like we'll build a land. But that love, that land, is not just going to show up because we've, we've waited long enough for it. The UCC minister, Tony Robinson, describes this as, as fierce waiting. He says in a, in a commentary on, um, on the book of Revelations, of all things, it is strange and striking how the Bible ends. Not like a mystery with the culprit, culprit revealed and the riddle solved. Not like a symphony or a musical with a grand finale not like a novel with the main character or characters finding some resolution. The Bible ends by not ending. It ends in anticipation. It ends with the faithful still waiting with Jesus saying, very soon, very soon, I shall be with you. What kind of ending is that? 67 books and a couple thousand years. 
and very soon I shall be with you. Except that this is what it means to be people of faith, to be still waiting, still watching, still hoping and still listening, fiercely waiting. If you're still waiting, it means you haven't settled in, insisting that present arrangements are the be all and end all just because they happen to suit you. You're still waiting. And if you're still waiting, it means you haven't given up. You haven't decided cynically that it all amounts to nothing and why bother anyhow. You are still waiting. May we be fierce in our waiting.